fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Holy cow, we made it through. It is a Friday. It is the final day of the first week of 2023. How do you feel going into it? Man, what a week of chaos especially in the realm of politics. Welcome into the program. We have a lot to touch on today. We got to recap the first week, do we not? Great to have you along for the ride. It is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the program, thank you for it. We love you to death. Welcome aboard your Millennial General, reporting for duty like we do every single day. Big show lined up today. As usual, I don't know why I say that because it really is every single day. We give it all we got every single time, and hopefully it shows across the airways. Phil Kirpin, president of American Commitment. We have him on the show pretty frequently. We like having him on uh, kind of our go-to with some of the policy issues coming out of Washington, D.C. He'll be joining us in just a little bit. We'll talk about the student loan forgiveness program from the Biden administration. It is lingering in the U.S. Supreme Court right now. They are doing their hearings on it, on whether it is constitutional and whether it should be continued or not. Where are we at with that process? We'll get the latest from Phil Kirpin coming up here in just a little bit. Also, we have, uh, what is this, day number four and vote number 13. When it comes to the Speaker of the House vote for Kevin McCarthy and the redemption tour has begun. Can you believe he's redeeming himself? He has won over some of the conservatives. He is all but six holdouts now. He is only four votes away. The redemption tour continues for Kevin McCarthy. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's him right now. Who knows? Why are the Republicans starting to win, uh, starting to warm up to Kevin McCarthy after 13? You would think that after 13 votes, you'd be like, yeah, maybe I'm not the guy to kind of unite the Republican Party. Maybe I'm not quite the guy that's going to be able to rally the troops and be able to bring it home. So maybe I should step down and find somebody else. Oh, no, he is resilient and he's starting to win them over by conceding on certain issues that conservatives have wanted. We'll get into all that here in just a minute. Great to have you, though. As we kind of look back on the first week of 2023, if this is any indication of what the rest of the year is going to look like, man, we are going to be strapped to the edge of our seats all year. I mean, just look at the first four days, the first four business days. Let's put it that way. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and today. We've had 13 votes for the Speaker of the House, which is the first time that this has happened in over 100 years. We've had the January 6th committee that has come to an end, which I don't know if you've seen the news today. They've made the news, not because they're done and dissolved, which is true, because they are done and dissolved. Liz Cheney, sorry. Bye, Felicia. You are out, baby. (laughs) But it goes beyond that now. is because after the January 6th committee has adjourned, they've released their big report to the Attorney General's office, but now they've also released Social Security numbers to the public in their report to let everybody know who supported Trump, any Trump official that sided with Donald Trump in the evil, horrible stance of uh, insurrection that never actually had anybody charged with insurrection in any way, shape, or form. But we released not only what went on, but also the 
officials that worked with Trump and all of their personal social security numbers in the name of transparency or something. I guess that's what they're calling it now is transparency. We're going to let you know their personal information so you can cause identity fraud for them. You can make their life a living hell. You can go and find the place of where they live. You can go and bombard them. You can harass them. Now, if you do that to someone like Nancy Pelosi, even as someone on their side of the aisle, then you're the worst person on the face of the earth. And you probably got your news from Fox News and you probably got stewed up in hate through Fox News and Donald Trump that made you want to go and assault Nancy Pelosi and her husband. But uh, if you're a Democrat, then it's totally validated for you to go to harass a Republican or any former Trump official by you know committing voter fraud and getting their personal information. This is where we're at in the world today. It's kind of like when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, if you remember from a few months ago, and it was like, oh, yeah, Donald Trump had all this classified information, which it wasn't classified because it was declassified under the Trump administration, but it was classified information, and we're going to prove to you it's classified information by stringing it out across the floor, taking a snapshot of it, and posting it on social media to say, ha-ha, look, told you it was classified the uh, IQ level of the individuals that we work with in the world today. So we have that that's been leaked as of today. We've had the Mexican Civil War that no one seems to be talking about. Still, I'm watching the headlines there. The Associated Press ran a short story on it about 12 hours ago, which is wild because it's gone on for like two days. So the fact that they just caught on to it 12 hours ago was kind of mind-boggling to me for the news source that's supposed to be the edge, the cutting-edge news that doesn't have the bias, that's only going to report the facts, that's only going to report what's going on. The wire that comes down for all the news agencies across the nation, they picked it up 12 hours ago. This happened on Wednesday night when the Mexican government arrested El Chapo's son and all hell broke loose in the country of Mexico as... The Biden administration, coincidentally at the same time, was talking about cracking down on illegal immigration, allowing 30,000 refugees a month coming into the country from other nations, which he apparently doesn't understand the refugee process there, and then saying, we're going to close down the border and I'm going to go visit it next week. Obviously, that's probably not going to happen with the violence going on with the cartels and the military from Mexico. So uh, a fun first week, definitely. And I hope that we get to look forward to much, much more going on over the next few weeks as well. If this is any indication of how 2023 is going to look, man, we are going to be in for an exciting, entertaining, on the edge of your seat. You can't stop watching nonstop action-packed movie style year that is 2023. With that being said, let's get into the latest here real quick. What's trending today? We are not going to spend the entire program talking about this as we have the last two days, but obviously we need to give you an update as we are wrapped up with day number four, almost wrapped up with day number four, but vote number 13 is said and done for the U.S. Speaker's House race as Kevin McCarthy still has not had the 218 needed to be able to win the race. However, he is at 214 now. He has bumped himself up after the last few days of losing votes here and there and slipping down. Now he's back up to 214. He is four votes, really today three votes away because Ken Buck was not there due to medical issues and having a doctor's appointment. So we were one short in the House, meaning that he needed one less in order to get the majority. So he only needed three votes today. I think tomorrow, if it goes into tomorrow, then it's going to be two, four votes again because Ken Buck was on the way back. They are reconvening at 10 p.m. tonight. Why 10 p.m. tonight? I'm assuming that's when Ken Buck is going to get back into town from Colorado to go and actually be able to vote and get the number that they need. As the same time, they're trying to negotiate with the last four, three or four Republicans. There were six total that voted against him. They need just two or three more to be able to swing back over and uh, uh, win them over. What's making them change their votes and change their tone here? 
Apparently, he's conceded on a lot of those issues that we've talked about with allowing a vote coming out of the House floor for term limits for Congress, uh, which is interesting. I don't know why he's fighting that so much as being Mr. Conservative. We're going to unite the Republican Party, but we don't support term limits. That's been one issue that he's been a hardliner on not wanting to bring up, probably because it took him 16 years to become Speaker of the House and he doesn't want to lose it in the next round by being forced to retire if that actually happens, which, again, we have to be realistic. It's not going to. Right. I mean, you and I know that even if the House representatives was able to vote on it, more than likely it would be shut down. And even if it did go through the House representatives because of a Republican majority, it would definitely be shut down by the Senate. And even if it would go through the Senate, which it wouldn't because not enough Democrats would support it, then there's no way that someone who's been in office since 1976, like Joe Biden has, would sign a term limits bill on Congress. It wouldn't happen. But... Republicans want to say we were able to put it on the House floor and vote on it to show our support to end, you know, the end, the never ending uh, swamp that is Washington, D.C. I would say that if you're going to do it, go all the way and say not only would the elected officials be term limited out, but also the age, uh, those that work within the agencies and the offices as well. That way, when you leave office, you can't just say, all right, I'm going to now nominate you, chief of staff, to go into the Environmental Protection Agency and be the head of that one as well, so you can continue my agenda even after I'm gone. Franklin D. Roosevelt was the one that tried to promote that and said, yeah, even while we're gone, we're establishing an agency, a department, a fourth branch of government that while we may be gone as the politician, our legacy lives on through the bureaucratic state to continue to grow the swamp day in and day out. So vote number 13 is over. He has redeemed himself to some degree, but it didn't really fall on some. The question is for me, at least why. We're still supporting Kevin McCarthy. You've had 13 votes. This has not happened in over 100 years. When is it time for you to step down and say, it's not my time to be speaker? I'm not the qualified guy to do it. Why am I still in this race? I better step down to unite under somebody different. Why is Kevin McCarthy so important? I don't understand that. And at the end of the day, the thing that's so frustrating to me, Eric, is right now as we speak, not even an iota of oversight to stop Joe Biden and to stop the Biden administration uh, from from the border, which apparently he's finally going to go visit, going down to Mexico. Uh, Fauci's still running around. We have zero accountability for the 13 Gold Star families uh, that I have personally told we will get accountability for from the Afghanistan debacle and on and on, much less putting a conservative agenda in place when it comes to inflation, crime, border, uh, foreign policy. We've gone from the Abraham Accords under President Trump to now uh, a total chaos. So look, man, I mean, I understand wanting to reform this place. I get it and I agree. Uh, I understand a lot of things needed to change from how Nancy Pelosi was running this place. But let me just tell you a couple of things that we've done over the last couple of months. Uh, we have a new uh, initiative now that, and a new rule that if you propose a new government program, you got to cut one of equal size. We'll have an imp- Okay. Uh, that's Congressman Mike Waltz. That was the question that was posed to him on Newsmax. That was him on Newsmax earlier today, was why is it so important to unite behind Kevin McCarthy? Why can't we unite behind somebody else? Why is there not a better candidate out there? And if he can't unite the party, then why can't we, why do we have to unite behind Kevin McCarthy? I didn't hear an answer there other than 
yeah, we need to reform things, but at least he's better than Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> is that what you got, too? Is that what you got? Because I didn't get anything else other than that. Was He's not really the greatest candidate. He's just the guy that's up there. And, you know, he, yeah, we need to reform things. So I totally get what they're trying to do. He's better than Nancy Pelosi. And we've done some things over the last few months to prepare ourselves for when we take over. So, I, you know, I, I don't really have an answer, but he's better than what Nancy Pelosi was. If that's the best you can do, why the hell are we uniting behind Kevin McCarthy where it must be him and we'll drag this out as long as we have to in order for him to be the candidate? I don't understand this. I'm I'm not in Washington, D.C. We have some of the congressmen that once the vote is over next week, we're going to have my congressman here in Kansas, Congressman Ron Estes on the program. We have Congressman Bob Latta from Ohio that will be on the program. And they have voted for McCarthy throughout the entire process. We'll ask them. I'm going to ask him straight up. Why is he the guy? that we have to drag this out for instead of just get somebody new and try it differently. Try it a different way. Shake up the Why is he the guy that must be there, so therefore we must negotiate, he must concede, we must negotiate with him in order for him to get the seed for all of us to unite behind it? Why is he the guy? After about two votes, sorry, dude, you don't have it. Who else is there? Who else can unite? Who's got the ideas to embrace the moderate Republicans and the conservatives together to find the happy medium and recognize Democrats and the socialist left-wing agenda in this country is the number one priority of evilness and of our enemy, and we must stop that, and we'll find a way to end all of that shenanigans by shaking up the system. Kevin McCarthy's not that guy, so why is he the one? Well, he's better than Pelosi. Okay, cool. Well, I, I guess that's good enough. Vote for him. He's three votes away right now. Can he do it by tonight? Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, you're darn right. It is 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. The hell took you so long to get here? Ha! See what I did there? See, so we have uh, vote number 13 for the Speaker of the House. Real quick. Uh, just a reminder as well, today is a full moon. Which means if you work in customer service, which I'm sure because you work in there all day, if you work in retail, if you work with the public in some way, shape, or form, then you realize that maybe individuals are a little testy today. Maybe they're just a little bit grumpy today, probably because of the full moon, uh, which would explain why so many people got so angry today on the House floor as they were trying to do this House speakership vote as well, which I remind Republicans while we go through this process and while we've been saying it and they've been saying it on the floor as well, this process is healthy. It is good. It's good to have the conversation. It's good to challenge. It's about damn time that Republicans start challenging the establishment of the Republican Party to shift them a little bit further to the right, hold them accountable to their Republican conservative principles. It's about time we do that. Don't make it personal. Chip Roy said that early on in one of the earlier votes uh, on like the first or second day, saying it's not personal. We want to have the policy discussion to make sure the Republican values are going to be promoted in this House because no more going with the flow here. That's what needs to happen. Don't make it personal. So those like Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who I love and I appreciate what she's doing, don't be a hardline, absolutely no McCarthy, no matter what, be I am strongly against McCarthy unless he really has his hands tied and we can hold him accountable for the things that he's doing. Matt Gates is kind of on that line as well because he made a speech earlier today that really had some people kind of fired up. He said that Mr. McCarthy has earned the position. 
you only earn the position of Speaker of the House if you can get the votes. Mr. McCarthy doesn't have the votes today. He will not have the votes tomorrow, and he will not have the votes next week, next month, next year. And so one must wonder, Madam Clerk, is this an exercise in vanity for someone who has done the math, taken the counts, and is putting this institution through something that absolutely is avoidable? My colleague, Mr. Garcia, did not say this, but many of my other Republican colleagues have. They believe that Mr. McCarthy has earned the position of Speaker of the House because he raised half a billion dollars to get Republicans elected. That's from the Republican side, by the way. That's not the Democrats. That's from the Republican side. ...not to engage in personalities against other members of the House. Several believe that one earns the position of Speaker by raising enormous sums of money, and there is no doubt that the individual that was nominated by Mr. Garcia is the LeBron James of special interest fundraising in this town. There is nobody better, but I would suggest that there are qualifications for speaker that are far more important. There are attributes that are far more important. Jim Jordan has those, and I am submitting his name for not. Man, that was Matt Gage just going off on Kevin McCarthy. It sounds like it's almost getting a little bit personal for them. And again, I warn, don't go personal. Got to stick to the policy. Yeah, I get it. Kevin McCarthy is very establishment. Yeah, we get it. It's, I like the LeBron James of corporations being able to get money. Uh, and unfortunately, he's hit it right on the head. The Republican Party, just like the Democrat Party, only cares about how much money they can raise. Kevin McCarthy is able to raise money, just as Mitch McConnell is able to raise money. Now, Mitch McConnell is able to raise money. He's not able to apply it in the proper places to actually win the proper races that we need. Obviously, with the election that we just saw in the midterms in November, where we did not take the Senate, when we probably could have if he would apply his financial uh, leverage a little bit better. But Kevin McCarthy is a good money grabber, and apparently... That's why a lot of the Republicans just think that he should be Speaker of the House. That's the only qualification we just heard from Matt Waltz just a little earlier from Florida. Hey, why do you, why should we rally behind him instead of somebody else? Well, he's better than Pelosi. Oh, all right. I guess that's the standard that we hold ourselves to. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, man, welcome back into the program. So there's a lot to talk about today, is there not? We have the speakership, which we'll talk about a little bit more, but we've kind of beat that one quite a bit over the last few days. Uh, Vote number 13 done at 10 o'clock tonight, man, they're reconvening. I'm assuming it's going to be so late because they have Ken Buck, who had to leave and was not in the chamber today. He had to go to a doctor's appointment or something, uh, coming back to make sure that they they get his vote going into uh, the weekend. So it sounds like they're going to be doing the reconvene at 10 o'clock tonight. Ken Buck coming back in for that one. He was the only one that was missing. But with him gone, that means that he only needed 200 and. 
what, 217 instead of 218 for the majority, and he was at 214 in this last vote. The redemption of Kevin McCarthy. Can he come back from that one? That's going to be kind of interesting. At the same time, we have some economic numbers we'll get to here. And I know it's a Friday. I know. I know. But, hey, we got a lot of important stuff to get to. I'm excited to talk about all this and a heck of a lot more to wrap up the first week of 2023 with our next guest. What's trending today? As we love having him on the program, a semi-regular guest on the show, president of American Commitment, which you can find AmericanCommitment.org. Mr. Phil Kirpin with us here. Phil, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Happy New Year to you. It's good to chat with you. Before we talk about the the omnibus package, the student loan forgiveness, all the other stuff that's going on right now that's uh, being discussed outside of the House of Representatives, uh, why Kevin McCarthy? I get that he's they think he's due, that he's supposed to be the big leader, that he raises all this money. But you'd think after, I don't know, two, three, or four votes when it broke the history of a 100-year streak that you would say, maybe I'm not the guy to unite the Republican Party. Why are they so hell-bent on making Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House? Well, um, I don't know. To be honest <laughs> with you, I don't know. I mean, I think, the, uh, uh, I, I think Scalise probably would have been a better choice uh, because he was actually shot by a deranged leftist, which gives him absolute moral authority. Uh, but he didn't want to run for it. He didn't want to challenge Kevin. He wanted to take the number two job. And uh, there was really um, nobody else, I think, that could command enough support to really make it a race uh, with more than one horse, uh, which is to say, you know, someone like a Byron Donald can put his name in or an Andy Biggs, but they weren't going to get more than that 10 or 20 votes, which, you know, you can use for strategic positioning and for leverage, but you're not you're not really at risk of being elected with that number. And so they, it, it was sort of, you know, all of these 13 rounds and, you know, we'll get the 14th tonight. It's not really Kevin against someone else. It's Kevin against himself. You know, can he actually get to that number? And, you know, I, other than being sort of next in line and it's his turn and that kind of thing, I, I have not heard a great case for why he should be the speaker, especially not from him. Yeah. Andy, it's not like he stood up and gave this great speech about his vision and why he should be Speaker of the House. I haven't seen anything like that. So that's a little bit disappointing. Now, all of that said, you know, the 14 or 15 votes that switched today, and, you know, he still needs two or three more, uh, you know, depending on attendance and so forth. But the 14 or 15 that switched today, they switched because supposedly they extracted a lot of important concessions, including uh, that they're actually going to allow amendments from rank-and-file members on the House floor. Instead of leadership just writing everything and saying, take it or leave it, which, I mean, that's, that's huge. been a long time since that was allowed. So um, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Now, if that means that everything gets amended and then it fails because they can't agree on whatever the product is, you know, that could be a problem. But I'm pretty optimistic that these changes are going to be positive. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly enamored uh, with Kevin McCarthy. I think he's a pure political animal. I don't think he has any particular conservative beliefs or, uh, you know, any particular principles. I think he's uh, just responds to political pressures. That said, in this case, the conservative holdouts were able to bring pressure to bear to get some, it sounds like, I haven't seen any of the details yet, it sounds like some, some pretty significant and valuable reforms and maybe will actually be able to cut federal spending and get this insane process where they do nothing all year and then jam everything into one massive bill at the end. We'll, we'll get that, you know, we'll get that to end yeah and they'll actually do the separate individual bills and actually do their job up there and with an open process where you know individual members actually have some input and some power so i'm cautiously optimistic of course the challenge is the the majority so small 
that to actually get things done, they're going to actually they're going to have to build consensus on bills. And so I hope that you know, kind of the process that we get is you know, they allow lots of amendments and lots of debate, and then at the end of it, you know, pretty much all Republicans vote for the bills as long as they're decent, uh, so that we can kind of keep the train running and move on to the next one. So we'll see how it actually works in practice. Uh, but I think that you know this was a very helpful exercise as opposed to them just all voting for him and uh, having yeah. business as usual up there. Amen. That's what we've been trying to say on the program here is while the media is losing their minds that they're not doing anything, they're not passing any legislation, that they're on the taxpayer. Can you imagine a whole job? week of the House not doing anything? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But this has been such a good lesson for the civics lesson for us to kick off the year, learning about this process that we haven't seen in a very long time. And like you said, being able to fundamentally change it. Conservatives now, if he if he does these concessions and agrees to what uh, apparently is going on behind the scenes, the conservatives may be at the head of some of these committees, the rules committee, the budget committee to keep some of these major left-wing bills below the line and not even reach the House floor, which would be hugely impactful for us. I think behind the scenes that we won't even recognize half the time. And then, like you said, with some of the other uh, uh, the amendments and being able to do changes, this could be extremely beneficial. And while those were worried about working with Democrats or the moderates going with Democrats to get a Democrat Speaker of the House and some of the concerns early on, I think this has been immensely impactful, and I think this is going to benefit us down the road for a long haul. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, of course, you know, the one of the one of the implications of allowing amendments on the House floor is, you know, there are going to be liberal, stupid amendments on a lot of things where the Democrats have, you know, all of their own Democrats and the, you know, the 15 most liberal Republicans vote for some dumb union giveaway or some, you know, some environmental thing or whatever it might be. And so some of those are going to be hard to stop. When you open up the process, it means opening it up for everyone. That said, I mean, that's more information that we can use and that voters can use and that we can, you know, over time, you know, move everything in the right direction, even if there's some bad votes along the way. So I'm in favor of opening up the process, uh, you know, even if it, even if I don't like the outcome on every individual vote. Yeah, amen to that. I love it. Let's talk about prior to this leading up to where we're at right now. You guys worked really hard and, and had a lot of impact trying to stop the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package we went to the holidays with, giving themselves a nice big Christmas present uh, for Congress. That was an absolute disaster. I've been saying it's probably one of the worst bills we've seen come out of Congress in a very long time. What all is in this thing and what could we look forward to um, from this bill and economically going into 2023? Well, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I read the whole 4,200 pages of text and you know 2,600 pages of explanatory materials because I, I, n- no one has, frankly. Yeah. I mean, we're going to be finding out what's in this bill for the next six months to a year. And people are going to say, oh, and you got members of Congress say, oh, I voted for what? I didn't know that was in there. And this is... <laughs> Part of what's so insane about the way they did this, basically in the dead of night, uh, with nobody as an oppor- having an opportunity to, to really review it. But uh, there were a lot of specifics in there that uh, people have found that I found particularly offensive. I mean, there was some, you know, there was 500 plus million for like foreign aid for uh, population control measures to protect biodiversity, uh, which kind of touches all the touchstones of insane leftism all in one provision. If you think about it. Um, and, you know, there are all the all kinds of crazy left-wing earmarks for, you know, LGBTQ plus AAA uh, centers and all this kind of stuff. And uh, just every, everything you could imagine was stuffed into this bill, money for PBS and NPR. And, uh, and I think there was a I think there's going to be a new statue to uh, honor journalists in Washington, D.C. that was in that bill. Wow. So they can honor their great heroes. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, there have been a bunch of people who put out pretty nauseating lists of all the stuff that was in that bill. But, you know, to me, uh, you know, their budget gimmicks in there, the real cost isn't $1.7 trillion. It can be more like $2 trillion. You know, they were supposed to be scheduled uh, automatic spending cuts under the PAYGO sequester mechanism of about $130 billion. They postponed those until 2025 when you and I know they'll postpone them again or cancel them. I mean, there's just the – it's um, – you know, it, it was just a grab bag, of, and you know, and the retiring members had these insane pork, pork-filled retirement parties, if you will. And so you had uh, Richard Shelby, the Republican senator from Alabama, who's retiring, got six hundred fifty million dollars of earmarks, and I think Inhofe from Oklahoma got three hundred fifty million, and Blunt from Missouri got three hundred million, something like that. And so. Yeah, there's there was I think there was sixteen billion dollars of pork, uh specific, you know, earmarked projects that members requested that was in this bill, which is kind of an insane amount of money when you consider that before something gets a federal earmark, Andy, the local community already didn't want to fund it. No yeah. private entity or charity wanted to fund it. The state didn't want to fund it. And then they say, okay, we'll go get the federal taxpayers to fund it because they're chumps. And that's typically the, you know, so these are typically ridiculous, unnecessary projects that have been vetted and rejected at multiple levels before they become federal earmarks. Uh, but, you know, the other side of the coin, $16 is a lot of money. But then you think it's like 0.1% of the spending in this bill. And they got bribed as Republicans to vote for, you know, every Democratic priority in exchange for that pork back home. and so. It's like an obscenely large amount of money, but it's also an obscenely small amount of money in the context of everything that they voted for. So I, I, to answer your question, I think we've all seen lists of some of the crazy stuff that's in there, but I think we're going to be finding out for a long time. It was 6,000 plus pages all in, and uh, nobody's read it still. Wow. Well, and like you said, I mean, it really shows how much the elected officials that supported it on the Republican side, especially, are actually worth. I mean, if it's less than a percent of the actual bill itself for the pork that's going to these people to buy them off to support the bill, then that shows the value of what they hold themselves up there to say, yeah, I'm totally worth less than one percent of this. Even if I'm going to get some perks, I would make it worth it to actually be valued for part of this bill, but uh, I mean, our senators here in Kansas, one of them voted against it, one voted for it, and he voted for it because of the same thing, like you mentioned, with certain special interests that he got in that plan, which we've been very critical of. Here as well, we got to take a break real quick. It is uh, Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, AmericanCommitment.org. When we come back, I want to talk about some other pieces of the bill, including the ongoing debate for the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. It is sitting in the U.S. Supreme Court right now. What are the hearings sounding like? Where are we? And could we see massive amounts of money going to just write off student loans for students here across the nation and was that part of that bill as well we'll talk about some of that when we come back wrapping up the program for a friday here on the voice of reason voice of reason with andy hoosier fighting for freedom every day the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show here. We lost Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, over the break. We'll see if he calls back in here over the last couple minutes. If not, no worries. We appreciate his time. Check him out, AmericanCommitment.org. Awesome content, awesome information. They are a great think tank out of Washington, D.C., fighting for what's going on in Washington, D.C. They were trying to fight against that $1.7 trillion omnibus package and obviously unsuccessful in doing so, but they... We're part of that process trying to keep that one from happening. We'll get Phil back on the program again here real soon. Always great to have him 
on with us. He's kind of a go-to regular because he's kind of in the know with what's going on in Washington, D.C. Regarding the student loan forgiveness, yeah, student loan forgiveness was included in that as well. The funding's already sitting there ready to go as the Biden administration swore that it was going to be easy to do. Not a problem. There's no constitutional legal limits on us here. You know, we don't have to approve it with Congress. We can just have the Department of Education sign off on it. Because remember, according to Democrats and according to the elites and the shadow government or the globalists or the whatever you want to call them in Washington, D.C., they don't care about the constitutional process. And as long as they feel it's for the quote unquote common good, they can do anything they want to even without Congress, who holds the power of the person, decides where the money goes. To them, they don't care. It's about the agency that, unfortunately, Congress kind of gave a lot of their power over to because they want to spend more time fundraising as opposed to actually doing their job. And like Phil said, wait to the last moment, pass ridiculously large bills that they have no clue what's actually in it, get bought off for less than a percent of it, and then say, well, all right, you guys are all good, now we're just going to ram through all this other garbage. Now, the student loan forgiveness program sitting in the Supreme Court now with the hearings ongoing. We'll see what that comes about. For those that do have student loans, myself included, although 90% of mine are all private loans, so it doesn't really matter. I'm still paying on mine every single month. I haven't had any relief except for one. I have one student loan that is actually coincidentally right at $10,000, which is what they want to forgive. That is a federal loan that has been on deferment until June or July this, this year. And it's been almost a year since I've paid on it, and I've been slowly paying some on it because, you know, I don't want it to just sit there. And it's my personal fiscal financial responsibility to take care of that, regardless of whether it gets forgiven or not, that I continue to try and pay on that one. But that's the only one. All my other ones, all the private student loans, oh, sorry, you're stupid to work with the private sector. You need to get government ones because they'll just disappear like magic. These aren't the droids you're looking for. And then they just magically disappear. They're magically delicious, just like... Uh, Joe Biden, apparently, with the uh, economic numbers that we've seen coming out today. We don't have time to get into those. We'll do that next week. But uh, the student loan forgiveness is not really boosting the economy is what they were hoping for, because while they've been on deferment for a year, how has that boosted the economy? I mean, this is really the good social experiment that we have right now is if the student loan forgiveness program would work. You would think the economy would be skyrocketing because all the people that haven't had to pay on the student loan for the last year with an in deferment because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I guess it's really been a year and a half, almost two years where we haven't had to pay on those, that you would think the economy would be booming. And the economy is doing, I guess it's fledgling right now. The 9% inflation is really not helping with it. We're going into a recession this year. All the prices are going to start climbing back up right now. We have exit like 30% increases year over year. But at the same time, they say the economy is doing well just because of job growth in the nation with the 225,000 jobs that were created for the month of December. But for student loans, if it would work, and if people hadn't had to pay on them for the last two years, where is the massive economic boom like they say is going to happen? Because it was a theory before, if we pay them off, then student loan holders would have extra money, so therefore they could invest into the economy, so therefore we could pay it off easily by booming the economy, by people investing in buying things, and buying homes, and moving out of their parents' basement, and buying new cars, and buying new goods, and therefore all the sales tax, and the uh, maybe starting a business, and the hiring tax, and the employee taxes, and the business taxes, all that could go to the government that would offset the massive cost of the student loans. If that were the case, then in the two years that we haven't had these student loans and we haven't had to pay on them, where's that growth? 
Or is that economic stimulus? Where is it? Because we're not seeing that right now. In fact, we're going into a recession. We're still seeing record tax revenue come into the government, but we're seeing a recession, largely because of the government that's printing off way too much money and investing way too much. But are they spending more? Oh, they're spending more. Is it because they're actually buying more? Or is it because, again, like we've asked before, it's just because they're trying to buy the same thing with high inflation rates? Where's the massive economic stimulus that we saw with people not having to spend on student loans? Because so far we haven't seen it. That should be the telltale sign that their argument that that would boost the economy is a bunch of bogus crap. That does it for us today. Back at it again next Monday, the first full week of 2023. Make sure to stay tuned in for that one. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst in your own community. This is the Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.